Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In December 2015, the New Orleans City Council voted to remove four Confederate monuments from public grounds. A forceful group of critics protested the decision, and fearing retaliation, no work crew would agree to remove the statues. For Comedian and Daily Show with Trevor Noah producer and writer C.J. Hunt, these protesters' fanatical loyalty to the losing side of a 160-year-old war seemed like ideal material for a short satirical internet video. But as he filmed the conflict surrounding the monuments, a bigger story began to reveal itself. The neutral ground confronts the lost cause, the Southern campaign to mystify the Confederacy with refreshing clarity. It's a terrific documentary film, and it's a real honor to be able to talk to the director of this wonderful documentary film called The Neutral Ground. C.J. Hunt, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. How did you decide that you wanted to fly to New Orleans or go there and start pursuing this as a story? Because mm. this is one of those stories that kind of comes and goes, and it's sort of a evergreen. It comes back every year or so. We hear about this stuff, and nothing seems to happen. How did you? What what inspired you to 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 undertake this? White supremacy. It's evergreen, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, when you try to tell a story about white supremacy, it is it does feel like you are always worried that I am always worried that I'm behind and then you just wait a second and all of a sudden it is worse than it has ever been. So that has been an interesting part of making the film of figuring out have we fallen behind in the moment or, you know, and now the capital riot is happening. So you know, it, it is a it is an unfortunately evergreen thing in America that I, I feel lucky we were able to make a film about. I, I grew up in Massachusetts and uh, sort of the New York area. So after college up here, I uh, went to New, I moved to New Orleans to become a middle school teacher. And I taught middle school for a little while. And then I taught uh, after school. Um, I taught improv comedy. Uh, I worked at the public defender for a while, but I lived in New Orleans for nine years, you know, doing these different jobs. And along that route, I started getting more and more into comedy. So by 2015, I was in a headspace of trying to figure out how late night TV works. I was watching a lot of The Daily Show. I was watching a lot of Full Frontal with Sam B and getting my mind around, okay, how do you write for that type of television? Around the same time, as, as folks remember, the horrible massacre in Charleston, where Dylan Roof massacred nine people, finally we had an amount of actionable consensus around what are we going to do with Confederate symbols in, in cities across the country. So you know, as, as my mind was on comedy, this change was happening in the nation and particularly in New Orleans. I think people forget that no one before Mitch Landrieu, no mayor of a city in history had said, hey, let's take down four Confederate monuments uh, at once. You know, our, our white mayor in New Orleans, Mitch Landrieu said, you know, proposed something historic. He didn't invent it. Activists had been saying this for, for decades, but he was using sort of his white privilege and his platform to put this front and center. So at the time, I was like, okay, this will be a perfect chance to practice some of the 
satire skills that I'm trying to work on. You know, like already, as soon as he proposed it, you had folks going, it's destroying history. We're going to forget who we are. And so in a city where things move all the time in New Orleans, the idea that moving a statue across town is somehow destroying history, that felt like that was going to be comedy gold. Uh, so we went and filmed the the meeting and, you know, not only was there that level of myth, but, you know, as you can see in the film, it, it's actually way worse than anyone expected in terms of what everyone's saying out loud. So I think from that meeting on, we knew, okay, we're not only going to get people saying, you know, pretty misinformed backward things about history, um, but there is a level of white vitriol to this that I think may spill over into something that is bigger than just a, a comedy short. The thing that was so striking, this these arguments that are put forward in, in the film, and I hear otherwise, is how shameless they are. There's a complete lack of self-awareness and shame. I don't like to call people ignorant as much as I like to refer to them as uninformed or misinformed, but it's becoming increasingly more difficult to make that distinction because at this point, anyone who's paying attention to anything regarding our history and the history of this country surrounding slavery, how could you not know the basic facts? And how could you not be ashamed? I mean, how can you not be ashamed? I mean, I think that's the question of the film. You know, I, the, and, and I don't think it's a rhetorical question. It is literally, how have we escaped shame in our discussion of this history? You know, the film goes into what it meant for Confederate widows after the war and the formation of the UDC, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, and how deeply they were able to influence textbooks and how much the North bought into that as a way to rebuild the country of pretending that, oh, there were great people on both sides. So I agree. I, yeah, I take your question. And I think that is, I, I think, the most interesting part of the film and the discovery, not just, oh, God, how can people believe that? But you know, when you take five years to go, yeah, actually, literally, how did folks come to believe that? I, th I think when you're saying the word shameless, I'm not sure if the word is right. You know, I, I think the word is how can people be so loud or unapologetic about this belief or this language that that there's a duality of it is really driven by shame. You know, like when people are denying that slavery had anything to do with the war and when they're saying that was so long ago, please move on. And when they're saying, you know, please stop talking about race, all of that is driven by shame or a terror that if we speak honestly about American history, that white people in America will have to bear shame. And they are afraid, as we see now with everyone panicking about critical race theory in schools, please, whatever you do, do not make my white child feel shame about what this country has done. Yeah. So I agree with you that there is something that feels shameless and so out loud about the type of white supremacy and denial that we're seeing. But I, something that I think the film is trying to zero in on is how much of that is actually driven by a deep shame that people refuse to face and what the cost of that refusal is. I've been a number of filmmakers on with uh, films about slavery, about our history, and how interconnected are the origin story for America is to slavery and, and so so on and so forth. And I've come to this kind of moment of 
clarity. And I, I think for me, I call it the, the acknowledgement project. The first step is acknowledging that it happened. And I think I love what you said about the, sh the shame drives these people. They don't coming to grips with, and you can, you can, uh, widen out on that idea of shame in our behavior into all areas of human activities, right? Alcoholism, abuse, you know, all kinds of ways in which shame drives people away from the very thing that they should be doing. But acknowledging this, which seems so simple and easy to, to do, if we could get, and I, again, I don't, I'm just saying these things sort of rhetorically because I don't know how we get people. I'm into it. Keep going. I'm exposed to Fox News. I live with my dad. And so I I am a secondhand Fox viewer. And when I hear them talk about the roots of America, you know, the landing on Plymouth Rock and the pilgrims and and then which I was I was exposed to my entire life. As much as I think I know about the Civil War and our, and and race, I keep finding out newer and newer things about the level the systematic level of abuse. And the systematic level of degradation, and and I'm still, I still finding out things. And when your, your film is another example of that, is to watch people. Uh, it just, I'm sorry, I'm really same, kind of same. I'm I'm with you. I you mean, know, I, I, just, I think the film is, in a way, uh, a package of receipts. You know, it, it yeah. is the the thing about this conversation is that. You know, I, th I think people need to be equipped with receipts. You know, when when people have said the most racist things they've ever said to me, I'm always caught a little flat footed. And, you know, I'm sure it's similar for you when 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 terrible things happen. It's always like the rhetorical tool that you needed wasn't quite at hand when somebody said this thing on the subway or or at a gas station or was your was your middle school social studies teacher telling the whole class this thing about Columbus. So I think the film is attempting to be a package of easily sortable receipts right. that when folks are engaging in these conversations that they have when you hear it wasn't about slavery, it was just about states' rights. You can clearly have something from the film that goes, great. So let's talk about the declarations of causes that every um, seceding Southern state wrote. Let's <laughs> Google what they wrote down. And the very first thing it, it's, I mean, and, and that's part of why the film is partly a comedy. You know, you, you Google anything that these, that the Confederacy wrote down as to why they were leaving their own declarations of independence. And they say very clearly, they have an intro sentence. It's like, we will now make clear the causes which have led to our secession. And then the very first thing they always mention is slavery. We firmly identify with the institution of slavery. It is the greatest material wealth on earth. So, you know, the film is, is supposed to, to, supposed to give us those receipts for when we're in those situations where we're facing someone who refuses to see. And I remember growing up because I'm I'm old, and I remember growing up in the '60s and my schoolmates and things. My mom was very liberal, thank God. She she raised me in a very different environment, and I would hear these things said about slavery. Well, they were better off. Well, they they had you know everything they need. I mean, all, I heard it when I was like 11, 12 years old, and I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know what to say back. I didn't know what I would the response and. I think that feeling is so widespread, yeah. you know, of, of, you know, that it's wrong yeah. and you, and all that, all that really 
is in your sling is that's dumb and that's racist but the the uh the ability to have a fact at hand um is hard and then you know when you are of color it is not just that this situation sucks it's that your humanity is on the line that you leave not being able to respond in that moment means that you leave that situation feeling less human you know i remember being at prep school in Massachusetts and seeing, you know, there was a poster in in the class of and on the wall of one of our classes of, you know, civil, young black civil rights protesters from the 60s and they're being sprayed by hoses and the poster, you know, says uh courage and you know some white hockey kid in my class was like that doesn't look very courageous to me and the teacher just said, "Hey, stop that." and had no response. I had no response so that that feeling of being without a rhetorical weapon, I think is really widespread. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you for reeling me back in because yes, absolutely. The film is called The Neutral Ground. You can go to the neutral ground doc uh, to find.com. Let me make sure I got that right. Do I have that right? The neutral. Yeah, we're, we're a neutral ground doc at neutral ground doc on Instagram and right. we are uh, neutralgroundfilm.com. Thank you. Again, the film starts in this kind of um, street brawl over with, at the city council level over taking down these monuments to these to these Southern um, Civil War time heroes. And uh, God, I hate why did I even use that word? But <laughs> but, uh, but okay. that's what it's they're okay. considered. Yeah, that's what, yeah, they're, that's what they're considered. That's, yeah. It's and, like a magic trick. You look at you look at these. If you weren't from here and you look at these monuments, you would have no idea that these generals lost. So you're right. They're all they're all crossing their arms and looking incredibly uh, heroic. So so you're right. That is how they have burned their their legacy into the minds of Americans as Confederate heroes. This film widens out from there. And I think New Orleans is a is a great place to, for this film to be filmed in and and. But we broaden out into much more uh, of the landscape regarding race and slavery and history. And in this film, to your credit, you confront these people in in a very benign kind of way to engage in a conversation with many of them who are very upset. And that one particular guy who's the who's part of the Civil War reenactment, I I really like the way that that conversation unfolds, and particularly with that little campfire setting where you're talking to a group of them but for but for me as a viewer that's a different experience than for you as someone who's sitting there talking to these people what is that like for you to sit there in a very as i said benign sort of way talk to them about this the question is what is it like to sit at a campfire with neo-confederates yeah Yeah, what is yeah what is it like to just to be yeah it's um it's not good Next question. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. It feels very, very bad. Um, <laughs> I think that there is a narrative after Trump was elected that liberals were telling ourselves, which was we didn't go and talk to the other side enough. We got Trump because we were out of touch with working class white folks uh, and, and we did not spend enough time on the other side and therefore were surprised. So let's remember this film began in, in 2015, yeah. you know, we, we, and, and was surprised by Trump and, you know, also 
as you're watching the rise of white supremacy and the rise of these monument protectors and the rise of monument preservation acts, you're also watching the rise of Trump and what he helped come out into the light in America. So I guess that is to say that um, I don't think I was alone in journalists who thought that they needed to go spend time on the other side. But I do think that the intention, the intention is, is to not leave viewers with C, we're all just one conversation away from Green Book. It's all about changing hearts and minds, baby. At the end of the day, we're all humans who respect each other. I am uh, attempting to show the depth of how far that myth goes. You know, it's not enough to just see folks stand up in a city council meeting and say, it wasn't about slavery. And it's not enough to see a historian go, hey, this view is popular. For me, it was very important to show just how many folks live in that reality are still living in 1865 in in their minds and choose to go do that on the weekends and firmly believe all of the points that the united daughters of the confederacy wrote into our history that when you hear people say it wasn't about slavery and actually the slaves were treated pretty well and they got medical care um, these things don't come from nowhere these things are so consistent across speakers because organizations like the United Daughters of the Confederacy, like the Sons of Confederate Veterans, um, wrote them into textbooks, and that became American culture. One of the things that I think about in all of this, the 1619 Project, what it says to me is for 240 plus years in America, this was America. This was America. 240 years of institutionalized slavery. In fact, it, it was America a lot more than it has been since the Civil War in terms of the time frame, right? So it, we never, again, we, I'll go back to this idea, we never even acknowledged that it was so embedded in our culture that- and That you I don't even see it. That we don't even see it. And, um, and that's why this film is about monuments. It is yeah. about how, what are the ways that white supremacy has built itself literally into our world and masked itself as normal, invisible, and immovable. And you don't get a clearer example of that than monuments to folks who fought for the cause of slavery, whose monuments were shrines to white supremacists who come back year after year for white supremacist rallies. And then in 2015, folks want to pretend as if they are neutral and as if those, those are just history and please don't open Pandora's box. That's why the film is about monuments because the conversation about race in America and what we choose to acknowledge and what we cannot acknowledge, it gets no more concrete than when you are talking about monuments. My opinion of where we're going is not a good one. <laughs> same, same. Uh, I really, I, you know, if you'd asked me, you know, 20 years ago, I would thought, well, we're getting better. Things are getting progressing. We will be somewhere better down the road. I think what I see now is what Trump essentially reinstitutionalized was um, a, a form of racism that is not very far away from slavery in, in terms of action. I think these people are not going to go down without a fight. And I think that they're, in fact, I think they're spoiling for when I think that uh, January 6th was their tea party in Bunker Hill. And I think that they're they're and they think they they think they're winning right now. And it scares the shit out of me what where we're going in this country, because I, I don't I don't know how we I don't know how we blunt what's happening without some level of real 
violence. I don't know what's, I just, help the, me, please stop the, me from thinking that. I will not stop you from thinking that. I will encourage you to, to feel as uneasy as you do. Because, and I mean, I mean this with all due respect, but for once now, you and I see the same thing. That to be white in America, you were allowed, or white people in America were allowed to tell a certain story about where the country was going in watching Obama be in, in the White House, you know, for two terms. But the place that white people are now, that white liberals are at now, of I am so afraid these folks are not, white supremacists are not going away and the future does not look good. That, that place of fear that folks are just now arriving to, people of color and queer people in this country are just like, hey, welcome to the party, baby. <laughs> we are not surprised or this is not a new level of terror. This is the terror of being not white in America and seeing, seeing the growth of this stuff. So, so I am... While I, while I hope it is not causing you acid reflux and I hope you are getting enough sleep, I think it is a productive thing in the country right now that white supremacy has been so unmasked, that it has been so on Main Street, that, that, that we are now closer in terms of what BIPOC people and white liberals both understand ourselves to be up against. Because that during Obama, that gap was much larger. <sighs> Yes, I thank you. Thank right. you. Right. Wow. Yeah, the, the the I I want the movie to give folks clarity. I don't want I don't want it to I don't want you to leave feeling um I don't want you to leave this film feeling uh disheartened. I don't want you to leave this film feeling shut down, but I do want the film to have clarity about what white supremacy looks like, what we are up against, and what folks are doing to stand against it, you know. I I want I want audiences of color to feel, to see themselves and feel their power and be like, damn, we did do that. You know, we did take down all of those monuments. Uh, you know, we did, we, we took down more monuments in the spring and summer of 2020 than had ever been taken down in American history. You know, we did come into the streets, you know, all over the country and, and set the stage for this giant reckoning even as far you know before 2015 we did climb up on that pole snatch that confederate flag and start a domino effect across the country we did have decades of organizing that even gave mitch landrew the idea that this could be done so i i want clarity i want uh white audiences to feel productively troubled and i want audiences of color to feel incredibly powerful at what is possible now that we all can see what we are up against clearly cj hunt thank you thank you for the film well cj hunt continue uh success with uh with what your work here in filmmaking hope you continue to move forward um also as a producer at the daily show congratulations on that Thanks so much hello trevor yeah, thank you he's incredible and and he does you know he's been a big inspiration for my film with you know i watch how he is able to talk to multiple audiences at once on things that some of those audiences might be closed for you know i i look at the sort of level of empathy that he has and how clear he is able to make an argument particularly around um police brutality in this country so watching him watching folks like 
our executive producer on this film, Roy Wood Jr. You know, I feel very lucky to be at The Daily Show because it's it's just like being, you know, like like on the team with being being on the bench as as you're watching you know Michael Jordan like you, you, it is it is where the greats play and um, I, I've definitely tried to learn all I can there. I also want to slip in here that the neutral ground will be playing for one week only at the Lemley Theaters in Glendale. That's July second through the eighth. You can check it out there as well as the upcoming PBS premiere on POV on July fifth. That's Monday, July fifth. See it in the theater if you can. <clears throat> the Lemley Theaters are always a wonderful experience, but uh, be sure and watch it either way, either on PBS, the POV series, on July 5th. CJ Hunt, thank you so very much for spending some time with us, and I look forward to another conversation somewhere down the line. Thank you. Me too, Mike. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 